Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 168 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, which also had in the classifieds today, used Dudenbostel Mandolin. Whew. Oh boy. The, uh, uh, the urge to, to hit the buy button strong. Anyway, it's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc. If you haven't gone to Acoustic Disc's website and signed up for the newsletter, you're missing out. And what are you missing out on? You're missing out on one free song every week. So go there and sign up. While you're there, pick up one of the, the Dog Works volumes. There's one through four right now. They're all incredible. And if you buy any one of them, you also get a happy birthday to Lloyd Lore album, which is incredible as well. And also brought to you by Grace Design Preamps. Uh, they're, they're the best in the biz. There's a reason why you see all those great players plugging into them if they have to plug into. As a matter of fact, my guest today also has one. We'll talk about that in the episode as well. So thank you so much to Grace Design Preamps. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. A great episode last week with Wayne. I hope it inspire you to work on your practicing and and again starting next week i'm going to have some hacks from wayne so it's going to be very exciting speaking of exciting my guest this week Corey, he's got a brand new album coming out with his band that he just joined up with mile 12 you might be familiar with mile 12 from david benedict being the mandolin player and david's doing some other things now but they got a great great replacement in Corey. he's a fantastic player and a super nice guy um, the, uh, I don't have the tracks for this album, so the samples that I did um, put in there that we talked about were from the singles that are available in all the usual places, and I have a link there. And the album is available everywhere next Friday, February 3rd, so go out and buy that album. And as always, uh, every week when I play any sort of sample from any song, you can see in the description below who the song is by, and I try to add a link to where you can purchase the album as well so be sure and click there and go and buy those albums if you like what you're hearing it definitely helps out all the musicians involved speaking of that let's go to the sponsors who help me do this podcast every single week peghead nation they've been there since the beginning peghead nation's got the streaming video courses for mandolin guitar banjo fiddle dobro ukulele and bass you can learn bluegrass old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors, including Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. Oh, by the way, great, great interview that uh, David Benedict just put out there with um, Aaron Weinstein uh, on David's YouTube channel. Uh, be sure to check that out. Peghead Nation includes high-quality, multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. The best part is use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout at PegheadNation.com. You get your first 30 days for free. So be sure to go and check out Peghead Nation, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app. For lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas, Elderly Instruments, Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. 
All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family-owned, operated. They ship worldwide. They're super cool people, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. And speaking of cool people, Roger Simonoff. Roger's not only cool, but very smart. Straight Up Strings represent a sea change in musical string design. The key to Straight Up Strings is how Roger compensated the down pressure of the strings based on where they sit on the bridge saddle. On the mandolin, two pairs sit close to the posts, and two pairs sit in the middle of the Seattle. And this has a huge effect on how the inner strings transmit energy to the soundboard versus how the outer strings do. To accomplish this, he carefully controls the core-to-wire wrap combination feed speed of the wrap wire, tension of the core wire, and tension of the core wire when it's being wrapped on the core. By the way, Roger's been working on musical strings for more than 50 years, having worked with brands like Gibson, Fender, and Santa Cruz Guitar, and many more. Basically, what I'm saying here is try the strings. You get 10% off if you go to straightupstrings.com and use the promo code MANDOBEER, all caps, all one word, and that's all for 2023. Hear the difference for yourself. Every note of every chord. That 10% discount, by the way, is also on all the books on the website. All right, let's get into our episode this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you haven't followed me on Instagram or Facebook, please give me a follow. If you haven't had a chance to review this podcast or subscribe to this podcast, please do so on whatever device or whatever platform you listen to them on. Just thank you so much for listening. Cheers, everybody. Have yourselves a fantastic week. Teach me how to breathe Wake me cause I don't want to leave this world just yet We you waiting out here in the sun? Alright, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Corey Brodsky. Corey, how's it going, man? Pretty good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for doing it. It worked out really, really well. You guys, Mile 12 being, you guys have a brand new album coming out February 3rd called Close Enough to Hear. Totally, totally. Looking forward to having that album out. When you are close enough So before we talk about that album and your background, you were just saying you just got back from doing your first shows of the year and they were in Alaska. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we played the Alaska Folk Festival in Anchorage and it was only three days. We just spent Friday, Saturday, Sunday there and uh, it was a really great time. It's a really cool community they have there, a lot of good people and yeah, we, we had some fun. Have you been to Alaska before? No, it was my first time and actually the whole band's first time. So, um, yeah, new thing for us all. No kidding. You were saying it is a lot of travel, though. Was there was there a lot of connections and stuff from from Boston or anything? Or, like, did you have to take any small planes, or was it all pretty easy going to Anchorage? Yeah, totally. We had a few planes. We, um, we took three on the way there and then two on the way back. But we all kind of had separate trips. Nate, the bass player, he's flying in from New York, and then Ella came from Texas, and... Our sound guy came from Albany, New York, so it was kind of all over the place, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you fly, do you, um, do you try to just carry the mandolin right on the plane with you? Yeah, totally, and it's never really a problem. It's really, you know, banjo, guitar that they kind of have to worry about it a little more. 
But yeah, I have a flight case. I have a Calton, but it never really comes to that, you know, checking it. But in case, it's good to have. And I would imagine, you know, I think uh, no matter what the case, I just saw Billy Strings guitar coming back from, uh, I think it was Europe, just destroyed, you know, oh, super geez. heavy duty case. I'm like, how? how is this? It's like it's like a challenge to these guys Yeah, <laughs> you know, when it's coming through. Yeah. I do. Um, I always do the same sort of trick, though. I've only had a few times where they've like handed me the uh, ticket to, to check it. You know, because like, oh, they're like, oh, it's full flight. There's not going to be much, you know, overhead space. I'm like, oh, this is my carry on. They're like, well, you're going to need the ticket. And I just always take Great. the ticket and then just put it in my pocket. And I haven't had anybody say boo since then. So, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And they don't mind, too, if you board early, I found. Like sometimes I'll have like a late boarding, but I'll just try to board early. And they usually don't say anything, which is nice. Yeah, if you're nice to the uh, the people working at the airline, there's a good chance they're going to be nice to you because everybody usually is yelling at them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's a welcome change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you just come up and polite, you're like, yeah, do whatever you need, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. So um, you grew up in Connecticut? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was born in New York, but um, my family moved to Connecticut after. How, how did you find yourself uh, playing a mandolin? Yeah, my dad, um, he was really into music, um, still is, and is a great musician. Um, he was playing guitar at the time around the house, and uh, he had gone to a few festivals before I was born and kind of got into bluegrass later in life. Um, and so like around the house, I remember there were a few albums playing all the time, and so I just was listening to it a lot and then saw my dad playing and kind of wanted to get into it too. And so I started playing guitar first. I remember he would teach me like a tune a week or so, and I would like finish learning the tune, really want to learn another, but he would make me wait, you know, just to like really make sure I wanted it. And it was, it was really great, you know, motivational kind of stuff. And then um, I played guitar for a while and had to play violin in school, um, kind of later in elementary school. And so I think I was around 10, maybe 11, when um, my sister, she got a mandolin just like randomly kind of for... Um, for Hanukkah and like uh, she didn't want to play it and so it was just sitting around the house and because I had like that fretboard knowledge from violin and the picking hand from guitar it kind of made sense to transition and so yeah throughout like high school and stuff I was playing a lot of both guitar and mandolin. When um, you were listening to those songs like when your dad was playing these records around the house what kind of stuff was he listening to? Yeah, he had a few different things. Um, I remember there were like two tapes I got into. There was uh, Cold on the Shoulder from Tony Rice and First Whippoorwill from Peter Rowan. And there, I think there was a Bill Monroe album. I'm trying to remember which one. It could have been a compilation. It would be like a few songs from one album and then a few songs from another. You know, it would kind of have like a weird transition in the middle because they were like just recorded onto those tapes. But yeah, yeah. So I'd listen to that a lot. And it was mainly like the guitar that I was listening to at that time. So like I did get into Tony a lot and like Doc Watson. I remember riding the Midnight Train was cool. And because um, it was like more bluegrassy, that album. So I, I got into that a lot. Now, when you started listening and you picked up mandolin, were you still listening to those albums then? Or had you transitioned to some different artists and different things like that as well? Yeah, I kind of transitions. Like my dad was teaching me for a while, and then I started taking with like a local teacher in town, and uh, his name is Jim Allen, and he's a great player. And 
he got me into all sorts of stuff. So I, like I pretty much heard, you know, the whole bluegrass catalog or, you know, anything I could get my hands on. And then I started going to festivals. I went to like Gray, Gray Fox Bluegrass Festival. Um, I think that's where it kind of clicked for me. I saw like a bunch of people performing on stage and then got to meet those same people. You know, everybody was so nice. And I was just like a little kid, but they, they were super nice to me. And um, I think a lot of that also, like I would buy CDs after the shows. So that's how I got, you know, kind of expanded what I was listening to. I remember like Critter was playing with Infamous String Dusters. And so it was like cool to meet him and like get into those guys. And then um, I think Peter Rowan and Tony Rice were playing together at the time. It was like their quartet. Oh, yeah. Was that with Billy Billy Bright on mandolin at that point? I think it was at a different point. I think it was Sharon Gilchrist. And, yeah, and Bryn Davies, I believe, was on bass. Um, yeah, it was such a good band. And I just remember, like, being pretty far away and still, like, just – hearing the sound from their instruments it was like pretty incredible yeah gray fox that's that's a sweet festival they have that cool documentary that was filmed there too and then did you just like fall in love with mandolin or were you still kind of dividing it up between mandolin and guitar yeah so like my first time at that festival was kind of before i got into the mandolin and then um yeah, maybe like four years later or so, I was um, into both, you know, like I, I started mandolin and kind of was dividing my time equally. I was taking lessons at the time with that same guy, Jim Allen, a little bit on mandolin, um, but like exploring a lot on my own too. Um, and then it, was, it wasn't really until college or like deciding on where to go to college that I really started focusing on mandolin. Um, that was like really when I realized that that's what I like instrument wise. That's what I wanted to focus on. Were you, was there anything besides music before going to college? I mean, were you looking at music schools and, and different types of schools or be you like music is my thing right now? Yeah. I, so like my senior year of high school, I kind of took a lot of hard classes and kind of myself academically just to see if there was anything out there that I wanted to get into. Um, but when I actually applied, I just applied to music schools, uh, mainly in the Northeast. Most of the school programs that I found, it was either like study jazz guitar or like um, at Berkeley, there was like the string department. So I could study mandolin and like do a little bit more than just like a jazz program. And that really appealed to me because I didn't want to just um, be kind of like pigeonholed into like a jazz playing style at the time either. What, do you remember what you did for your audition? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I took a gap year. What I did is I applied to school, I did the audition, and then I did a second audition during the gap year just to see, like, if there was any more scholarships and that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm trying to remember, one of the times I played the fiddle tune Over the Waterfall... Other time I can't remember. I might have done an original tune. 
Um, and then what was it like just going to Berkeley? Because, I mean, when, when did you graduate from there? Uh, like a year and a half ago. So uh, what was that? Uh, I guess it was May of 2020. Or no, sorry, May of 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the amount of talent coming out of there right now in, in the past few years is, is staggering. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Yeah. What was your favorite class that you took there? I had a few favorites. Um, I really enjoyed just getting to like go into more of the jazz program kind of stuff because um, it was a little bit outside my world, but I felt like it was the right situation just to explore it, you know. And um, there was this one class with this guy, Ed Tomasi, called uh, Jazz Improv Techniques. And he was just like a straight-ahead bebop player, like real character of a guy. There's a whole like Facebook page of just his quotes, people just posting like quotes from that class. And <laughs> he's a super funny guy. But um, he was really down to have me in the class playing mandolin. And um, I learned a lot from that. There was a lot of like cool mo- motivic kind of development techniques he had. And um, every class, it was like a lot of writing. He, he had like a lot of different ideas on the board that to write down and I feel like I'm still learning. I have like all the notes from class, still not even halfway through them, but it was, <laughs> it was a really cool class to like take and continue to explore. How, how much were you playing a day? Would you, would you say in that time at Berkeley when you, when you were really buckled down and focusing on your classes like that? Yeah, it was hard. I think like, I feel like maybe like before Berkeley, I might even have practiced more because once the classes came in, it was kind of hard to like both practice and go to all the classes and stuff. But maybe three, you know, a good amount still. I, I'm not, I'm no, I'm really into this practicing after talking to Wayne last yeah, week. Yeah, totally. Um, did you have like a uh, a breakdown or a way for you to stay focused on the same sort of practice schedule when you had that allotted amount of time? Yeah. Um, I kind of, when I was at Berkeley, I kind of let myself just explore everything I could. Mm -hmm. So it was very, like, very broad kind of practicing, I think. I didn't really, like, delve into anything too deeply because I kind of just wanted to see what was out there. And so I really let myself just, like, go at it and not, you know, worry about focusing on anything particularly. But, yeah, I think, like, at times it was just the classes I was taking that kind of dictated what I would practice or I would get like a lesson with Bruce Molsky or, you know, someone like that and have a tune to practice that week. And I was gigging a little bit too. So then like if a gig came in, I would have to learn that material. Who were you gigging with at that point? Anybody that, that anybody might listening or anybody listening might be familiar with? Yeah, totally. Um, I was playing some guitar with Circus Number 9. Oh, cool, man. Pretending that it was, that it was. Yeah, and you've had Thomas on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gotten to know Thomas pretty well over the last couple of years. He's he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas is the best. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I played a little bit with them, and then um, 
there were some local folks I I was playing with. Um, Laura Orshaw, she's a great fiddler. Oh man, Mount a pole rambling girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so her, she's great. And Tony Watt, he's a good guitar player. Used to live in Nashville, moved back up to Boston, and um, there was a, like a good scene there in Boston that. Um, yeah, yeah, I had some gigs with, and um, that was always fun to do that along with, with school. Now, there was an album out by a G. Rockwell called Spark. Do you play mandolin on that or guitar? Yeah, yeah, I played mandolin on that. Um, Stash Weisslouch, um played guitar on it and produced it. Yeah, it's a really cool project. Yeah, it's really cool. I was just listening yeah. to that today too. Well, how was it working with uh, with with Stash? What a nice guy, man. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It was a really nice vibe in the studio. He had a really good balance of like directing, but also letting you know it ne- happen pretty naturally. And um, just seeing him play guitar like from take to take was pretty cool. Like he would take very different solos on every take and uh, it was very inspiring, you know, like the range that he has to like just offer all these different solos and stuff. I think it's so amazing. Like I, I, he, he just thinks differently than, you know, 99% of the musicians out there. I think when he, when he's takes breaks and hears things different, hears things differently. I find it just fascinating. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Was that your first time ever in a studio for a project like that? Um, I'd been in a studio a few times before. I can't remember. I'm trying to think if I had done anything like a full project like that. I, so I had done my own like kind of solo project uh, before going to school. And then that was up in Maine. And then uh, this, yeah, I think this was, yeah, probably like my second or third one that I had done. Is that, uh, is that album available? Yeah, yeah, it's out there somewhere. I, I'm not sure if it's on Spotify anymore. Yeah, what's the name of the album? Yeah, that one's called Cruisin'. Let me see. It's kind of an older project. I had, um, I had a good band though for it. It was uh, Jesse Brock was playing mandolin on that one. Oh wow! Yeah, God, Jesse's great. So I had like a mixture. I remember I had like a mixture of uh, like guitar tunes and mandolin tunes and. Uh, for some of the mandolin tunes, he played guitar, so we like switched off, which was fun. Oh, cool! And then this Mile Twelve now friend of the podcast, David Benedict, played with Mile Twelve. And how did the how did this come up? Did you have to audition for this gig, or because you had known people from the area, it was just kind of like a, you felt you would be a good mix? Yeah, totally. I um I'd known the band for a while, and they reached out. They just emailed me to see if I would be interested in it. And then we did a few shows to see if it would be a good fit. It was pretty, pretty quick kind of transition. When I joined the band, Ella Jordan, uh, who plays fiddle in the band, also joined. And we had met uh, like first day of Berkeley. So it was pretty cool to like not be the only one, you know, just joining. <laughs> yeah. You know, have a friend in that way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it felt familiar too since I'd played with her a lot. Um, you know, we have like some similar sounds like that I'd learned from playing with her 
And so, yeah, that was pretty cool. That's great. You, you mentioned a few times, like, you know, getting ready to do gigs with other bands or if you were, you know, at school and you had gigs coming up, you had to work on stuff. What's it look like for you and advice you would give to somebody who maybe has the opportunity to audition for a band or maybe gets hired for a gig? Yeah. So how do you prep for a, a gig like that? Yeah, I do a lot of listening. I um, I usually don't play with the tunes right away. Mm-hmm. I like to just have like, if I have enough notice, um, which is not always the case, but if I have enough notice, I'll usually just have it like if I'm taking a walk or if I have like a bus ride, car ride, try to play through all the songs and listen to them down and really focus, you know, kind of pay attention to what the chord changes are and all that. And then just pick out like the hardest stuff. So if I can like pinpoint right away what's going to be the most challenging thing, I can kind of tackle that first and get that out of the way. So that way, if I don't have time for the, you know, simpler stuff, it's not as much of a problem. And then I'll usually play with it if I have enough time. And if not, I might like write charts out. If I'm like taking a flight there, I might like on the plane, just write the charts out. Even if I don't use the charts, just like the act of writing them out is really helpful. Usually helps me memorize them anyways, you know. Sure. Did you take like an ear training class at Berkeley? Yeah, there was a few of them. Like the core curriculum that they have has four different levels. I think I did the third and fourth one. Or actually, I might have done the second one as well. I can't remember. But those were helpful. Those were a lot of like um, singing solfege and that kind of stuff. It helped my ears definitely. But I think like just transcribing stuff in private lessons was equally as helpful. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, just that kind of stuff. Because it's more, you know pertains more to the mandolin and stuff. And a lot of like the examples in those ear training classes were in, you know, necessarily bluegrass kind of language. Yeah. And in bluegrass, for the most part, you don't have to worry too much about like weird extensions. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I'm sure every now and again, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not as common. That's true. Yeah. And then was the album with Mile 12, was it already written before going into the studio or did you get to work with them on some of the tunes before going in? Yeah, it was a mix of both. Um, so there was a few demos they had already made with David. And so like, I kind of went into it, and we were already performing. Like Before we recorded the album, we, re- we performed the whole album, many shows. And so it was a good way to kind of test out the material. And then I think it was like maybe one or two of the songs we completely changed from those demos. And so um, we'd spend a few days just arranging them. And um, there was, yeah, there was like one or two tunes on the album. Like there's a song called Anywhere Town that sounded completely different when I first joined the band. And then we, um, it was, it had like a groove and there was like this whole like feel to it that we completely changed. And now it has like more of a like bowed bass without kind of like a metered sound to it. And so that was fun. And then like BB wrote a tune while I was in the band. Um, so that was kind of starting from scratch with that tune. Um, she kind of brought us all the parts to the tune and then we arranged the order of them and all like came up with chord changes. There weren't any chord changes originally. So yeah, there was a good mix of like figuring out my own parts on mandolin and then also copying like what David had already done. Yeah, that's cool. What was the uh, tune that BB wrote? Uh, it's called Hopping Around Tell- Telluride. Yeah, instrumental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whole album is really, really good, man. 
Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Your playing sounds fantastic. You know, um, is there a, a particular track on there that you're most proud of? I'm not sure. I feel like some of them came out really good. A few of those songs that Evan wrote, I really enjoyed playing. Um, Johnny Oklahoma is a fun one. Um, there's like a fun uh, banjo mandolin kind of duet part that I enjoyed doing. Goodbye, Johnny Oklahoma. You were the bravest of us all. Everyone is honored to have known you. Old boys can die, but legends never fall. Johnny Oklahoma. Yeah, that might be one of my favorites. And the title track was cool. Close enough to hear, I like. Yeah. Yeah, the whole album's really, really good, man. Um, I think people are going to be stoked to hear it. And I think you, you're a perfect fit for the band. Your playing style is very, it's like that, a really good cross between, you know, like modern sounding, but yet rooted in bluegrass, but you still have your own kind of tone. Like you don't really, you know, it doesn't sound like you're um, blatantly copying anyone's licks, you know? <laughs> oh, thanks, man. That, that's good to hear. Where'd you record it at? I, we recorded up in Maine um, with Sam Kassir, his name is. It was, it was a really cool experience. He has a house up there. So we like stayed in the house and then like um, he has a small studio, different like isolation points in the house where like one person was in the attic. One, a few people were on like landing areas on the stairs. And um, yeah, it was a cool experience. That's great. Is that where Joe Walsh just did his album? Oh, I'm not sure. I'll have, to, um, I'll have to ask him. I think he might have. I think that's right. I know yeah, it sounds yeah. vaguely familiar uh, as far as the um, details, like a you know place where everybody could stay, and which is that that also adds to another cool vibe when you can all stay in the same place as opposed to like you know hotel rooms or motel rooms or you know whatever you can find and or afford at that time. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys record to a click or do you do it without? We did it without. Mm-hmm. We had like a count off to each tune just to make sure we were um, in the ballpark of where we wanted to start and make sure that every take, if we wanted to, you know, splice anything or whatnot, would start off the same and then just try to keep it steady from there. And in that room, we had the whole rhythm section. So, yeah, so we uh, like guitar, mandolin, and bass were all in the same room together. And way for us all to lock in as a rhythm section and then banjo and fiddle were isolated do you like the uh, recording process yeah i i think it's cool um this process was a little different than some others you know like some others where people like you know multiple ticks on solos and that kind of stuff for this one all my solos were like part of a take because I was in the same room as a bass and guitar, it was just like whatever happened during that take is what's on the album. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it had a nice feel to it. I think it's like some of the solos sound pretty live, which it, in itself I think is kind of a nice aspect. Yeah, I um, I love the, the whole feel of the album is really, really great. That's why I asked about the click thing because it didn't seem like – yeah, I hear some stuff and it just sounds like it's so on the grid that it is just literally like almost mechanical meter. like. <laughs> And this one really kind of um, it's it's got some uh, some soul to it, which didn't feel like it was, you know, being you know, looked at as like, oh, no, you got to move this bass part over. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Oh, that's great. What kind of mandolin do you use? 
I play a Brent Trap. Oh yeah. I believe yeah, I believe he's out of Minnesota. A few people have them now. Yeah, so uh Dan Bowie uh from Twisted Pine, he has uh the same mandolin um as me. So that's the Brent Trap and um same year. So we we've compared and they both sound very different. It's pretty cool. Yeah. How long have you had it for? Uh, maybe like three years. I got it off of the cafe. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a. I, I check it every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you have any other any other mandolins or mandolin family instruments? Not really. I um I still have the mandolin I had before this one. It, it's a Bovier. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and they're really great mandolins. Um, for like that price range, they're really consistent. Um, and so. Yeah, I think I had that one for maybe six or so years and played with it um, when I was at Berkeley as well. Uh, but it kind of just sits in the closet at this point. Yeah, uh, I know the uh, I know the feeling. I, I don't think I could ever be somebody who owns like 15 mandolins because it would just drive me crazy, like knowing I had a good one that nobody's playing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. What about uh, strings and picks? Yeah, so I like Wigan picks. I've always used those, and uh, I think the ones I've been using now are 1.4s. The big triangle or the smaller, like, teardrop-shaped? Yeah, the big triangle. And, yeah, I I used to use 1.2s, and then I just switched to 1.4s and found it kind of gave it a little bit fuller of a... um, It was pretty noticeable. Um, I was surprised, but... um, Yeah, and then for strings, for strings, I've been using the EXPs. And I guess they don't make them anymore, but I, I still have like a few sets left. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. So I've been using those and they're the mix set. Um, I guess it's like the Thiele set that has um, thicker, I believe, on the top and then like mediums on, on the bottom. Now, when you when you play live with Mile 12, do you guys just play into mics? Do you use any sort of preamps or plugging in or? Yeah, we've gone through a few different setups. The current one, um, so we travel with our own sound guy, and when we travel with him, we have like a wireless setup. Oh, wow. And so um, I just use an Audio-Technica mic, and then um, it's wireless. And so it's pretty nice, you know, just to be able to move around the stage and not be tied down to one spot. But for other gigs, if like we're not traveling with him or if I'm playing another gig, um, I have a Felix from Grace Design plug into that, either blending it like with um, LR Bags pickup, or I'll just do Audio-Technica mic. Oh, I love the Felix, man. I've been using that Yeah, just into a Neumann KM184 right now. It is every gig I can, and it's just like game changer is how natural it sounds. I love it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. How do you find time to practice when you're on the road? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like, especially if there's not space for like everyone in the band, you know, but I try to set aside a little bit of time to do some practicing, whether it's like in the hotel room or backstage. My goal usually is just to get like, like focus on one kind of small topic, you know, not overwhelm myself with like a bunch of things to do. Um, I find I can like be more productive if I just have like one kind of area to focus on. That's smart. What's something that you're currently working on? Like if you were to sit down right now and be like, okay, I got an hour to practice here. Yeah, it's a good question. I recently have been getting into some ballads, um, like jazz ballads and uh, just ways of playing chord melodies with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like 
depending on where I am in the process, my practice session will be a little different. But like if I already have the melody and like know the chord changes, then it's kind of just about finding, you know, playing it through a bunch of times and kind of finding different pathways to connect the chords and um, find myself, you know, through the tune. I um I just posted this question on my Instagram and Facebook, but I did ask um and I'll ask you, what yeah. is the album that you think you've listened to mandolin content the most so far? Oh, that's a good question. It might be it might be like one of Ronnie McCurry's albums. I've definitely spent a lot of time with like a lot of the Del McCurry band albums and just listened, you know, to all all of Ronnie's playing. Yeah, it, it might be like either like uh, like Rob and Ronnie, their their duo album. I really like. There's a few um, cool tunes on that one. One of the ones from Dell. I mean, there, there's so many of them. Yeah. So yeah, and they're all killer. <laughs> totally right. Like, they're all... Yeah, they're like one of those artists you don't ever have to worry about when they have a new album coming out, no matter what, because it's just so consistent every single time. <laughs> they nail it. <laughs> yep. So now you also offer lessons. Yeah, yeah. I started teaching uh, maybe five years ago or so. I was mainly. I was doing a mix of like in person and online and then like the pandemic hit and I kind of shifted to all online, um, which has worked really well. It's been really nice to uh, just meet with a bunch of students online and like there's a lot you can do, you know, without being in person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When when you find people taking lessons online, do you find it helps them? Do you, do you prefer like if they take them weekly, uh, monthly? Is there like a sweet spot? that you find with the online teaching? Yeah, I guess it depends on how much, you know, time they have to like practice and get through the stuff I give them each week. But um, usually weekly is good. That's a good amount of time just to like get to the next lesson. And um, yeah, I mean, it also depends, I guess, if they're like playing out with people or if they're just on their own kind of practicing. If you thought back on all the advice you've gotten from mandolin playing so far, could be from teachers, could be from other players that you admire. Do you have anything that you kind of hold as like, man, this was, I, I find myself using this piece of advice all the time. Totally. So I took a bunch of lessons with Joe K. Walsh at Berkeley. And one thing he told me, because I, I used to, or I still am, you know, pretty critical, you know, I'll listen to something and focus on the stuff that I would rather be better or wish I could change about my playing and kind of focus on that part of it. And he kind of was encouraging me to also listen to the parts that I enjoyed and kind of the stuff that I like about my playing. Cause he was encouraging me just to listen to those parts so that I know to bring those parts out next time I play. Oh, wow. And that focus on the stuff that you're good at, as well as the stuff that you need to work on so that you can continue doing the stuff that you're good at, like make that part part of your playing, part of your style, your sound. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. I've never really heard it that way. I've got to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I um I got a, now this is probably a good time to ask too. I have the uh, the question I like to ask people because um, not everybody uh, like like us we have we can play hours a day a lot of times and some people mm-hmm. you know can't do that they only have a few minutes a day to play so I'd like to ask if you only had ten minutes a day to work on something what's something you would recommend to somebody to work on just to to even incrementally get better yeah I'd say like pick something very specific. So, for example, if I'm, like, working on a fiddle tune or something, I might just take the part that is giving me, like, trouble and just play that part a bunch of times, like, slow and, you know, gradually increase the tempo and just really focus on that kind of thing. I think, like, if I have a lack, kind of have the luxury to take my time with how deep I get into the practice session, whereas if you only have 10 minutes, it's nice to, like, really dive in right away. So I enjoy just um, or get a lot out of just kind of getting right to the point. So kind of like immediately assessing like what is something I can improve on and what is something I can like just focus on immediately with this tune that um, I've been learning the last few days. Do you have a favorite fiddle tune? I have a lot of favorites, but um, (laughs) like I'm trying to think there's 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 a few I've been playing recently. I was playing Crockett's Honeymoon recently. That's a fun one. I learned it off a of Scott Nygaard album. Yeah, that, that one's a really cool one. check that out yeah it's off of his dreamers waltz oh that's a great album so i definitely have heard it i'm just have to go back and refresh myself well man that's so great now people want to find you on the interwebs what is the best way to to look you up i have a website it's corybrodsky.com and uh that's probably the best way to reach me that's great and what do you have what's the rest of 2023 look like are you guys doing a lot of shows this year to go with the new release yeah, it's pretty busy. We um we have February off and then we like in March we start getting pretty busy in April as well. We have a whole bunch of release shows. And then over the summer there'll be a bunch of festivals. Yeah. Anyone in particular you're looking forward to? We we're playing a re- release show in Boston at the Sinclair, which is going to be really fun. I've never played there. I've seen concerts there and um it's a fun room. It's like standing room. We have other bands on the bill with us, the Clemens Brothers and Eleanor Buckland. And so um, it'll be a fun night. Oh, man, that's great. That's always cool to play like a room that you've seen shows at that you've wanted to actually play at. Congrats. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's been a bucket list for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Man. Now, now you're not a beer drinker, but you do enjoy. So what is something that you enjoy to drink when you're maybe playing mandolin or practicing? Yeah, I have, um, there's a tea I really like. It's a Tulsi tea. It, um, it has like holy basil in it. And um, it's really good for like like stress relieving and also just for focus. Oh, wow. I find if I have like a cup of, cup of that with practice, it um, keeps me like really calm, but also like focused on the task. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. 
Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I think Organic India has a version of it, which is really good. Well, Corey, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm so excited for all the success. I can't wait for people to hear this album. It comes out on February 3rd. It's called Close Enough to Hear. I'm sure that they can go to Mile 12. I'll have links up there so people can go to your website and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm sure there's some pre-saved things on Spotify and maybe Bandcamp and on the website. So I'll be sure to add all that too. But I appreciate you taking the time to squeeze this in today, man. It's, it's been really fun talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. It's been great. All right, there you go. Go out on February 3rd and get that new Mile 12 album. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody.